What's up, gamers? Welcome to Level 99 RPG Talk. As always, I am your host, Philip. Remember, this is your RPG podcast brought to you by Vault RPG that releases each and every Thursday. And it's the show where I dive deep into the greatest genre in gaming. This week, we're talking about Square Enix, game releases, and Nino Kuni 2. This will be a short episode. And I mean, very short, probably half what it normally is dealing with some time constraints, some sickness this week. So I was unable to record at my normal time. And so I'm just going to shoot out a shorter episode. But hey, at least I put out something, right? So there's actually not going to be a limit break this week. And I'm honestly a little disappointed. I, in fact, I'm very disappointed because the thing that I've got planned is fantastic and now i can't wait until next week to record the limit break uh to tease it a little bit it has to do with bethesda and specifically well it just bethesda in general um and it's going to be very positive and 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 i'm just i'm just really excited about it all right so that's a little tease for next week's rpg talk so let's just actually dive right into the news for this week. And there's several stories. Um, the first of which, the first two stories are pertaining to Square Enix, as I teased. And the first story is coming from rpgamer.com, uh, where Dragon Quest XI is announced for PS4 and PC in the West coming in September, specifically September 4th. I'm going to read one paragraph from the article at RP Gamer. You should go check it out yourself as there is a CG trailer, a couple of different trailers uh, linked in that article with uh, screenshots as well. So go check it out at rpgamer.com. It says, and I quote, Square Enix has announced that the latest Dragon Quest title, Dragon Quest XI Echoes of an Elusive Age, will be released for PlayStation 4 and PC via Steam in North America and Europe on September 4th, 2018. The game's Nintendo 3DS version is not being localized with a planned Nintendo Switch version not yet having a release date in Japan. So that brings uh, to sort of the, the, the big news here is, yes, it's coming to the West. Uh, yes, it's coming on the PS4 and PC, but... It's not coming on the 3DS, uh, and I know specifically that the 3DS version in Japan had some really neat features where you essentially could switch back and forth between 2D sprites and the 3D models and the 3D rendering of the game. Um, and that's something I don't believe is in the PS4 version, but if I'm wrong, please just let me know. You can tweet at me at VaultRPG, tell me I'm wrong. But I don't think that that's the case because I think that that was the draw to the 3DS version. And now that's not the version that's coming over to the West. There is a Switch version, but it hasn't even been released in Japan. And so who knows? It'll, it'll be next year, more than likely next year, 2019, before Dragon Quest XI comes to the Switch. Now, I admittedly have never played a Dragon Quest game, and I know that that's a crime, a crime against my RPG fandom, but um, I'm going to jump into one fairly soon. 
Looks like I've got some time though. It looks like I have some time uh, before the next one comes out. I don't even know if I'll pick it up on the PS4 uh, because I like things on the Switch. This well documented in this podcast. I really, really prefer playing things on the Switch because of the port- portability and the ease. Um, in fact, we're going to be talking about Nino Kuni 2 today. And man, that would be awesome on the Switch. I don't know if it's actually feasible. Because honestly, and we'll talk about this, I'm playing on the regular PS4, and there are some sections that chug a little bit, and I was a little surprised about that. I'm sure that that's not really the case on the PS4 Pro, and of course, not going to be the case on the PC. But we'll get to Nino Kuni 2 in a bit. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven once again, coming to PS4 and PC uh, in September with the Switch coming at a later date it's not been really it's not been announced yet and then 3ds version is not making an appearance at all which is something that i know will disappoint a lot of fans who were anticipating that port second piece of news uh concerning square enix comes from you uh comes to you from kotaku.com and it says uh, that Square Enix creates a new studio headed up by Final Fantasy XV's director, Hajime Tabata. A uh, very talented director, and he's getting his own studio within Square Enix. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple of paragraphs here. It says, the studio is called Luminous Productions. It will be headed up by Hajime Tabata, director of Final Fantasy XV. According to Square Enix, it will be it will primarily develop AAA games as well as new and unique entertainment experiences. Whatever that means, that could be films. We saw, you know, a movie prequel, a tie-in sort of prequel for Final Fantasy XV. So maybe that's something that they're interested in. Um, We've had Advent Children in the past, fleshing out the world of Final Fantasy VII. So Square has dipped their toes into multimedia uh, projects in the past. Um, A phrase like unique entertainment experiences. Who knows really what that means? It could mean VR things. Who knows? But uh, primarily developing AAA games. Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 16. We haven't heard anything about 16. Um, so, I mean, that, that that seems likely. Tabata will be the studio boss as well as the chief operating officer. And the studio aims to make new games for a global audience. Square Enix's official announcement via 4Gamer adds that the studio's original core members will be comprised of Final Fantasy XV team members. An announcement will be made in mid-2018 regarding the studio's new project. So that's pretty awesome. That is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, Like I said, Tabata, very, very talented director. Uh, he, I believe he, his name is on Crisis Core, and then he also did Type Zero, and then he was placed onto the Final Fantasy XV sort of train wreck and kind of turned it around. Uh, all the, you know, the positive things that have come out specifically after the game and all of the content 
they've they've uh, put into it after after the release it really kind of turned uh the perception of final fantasy 15 around um and then that was that's a really pretty major thing to accomplish so where he's getting his own studio he's going to be able to make his own decisions he's going to be able to make a game from the ground up something he was unable to do with 15 taking it over um sort of midway through it so i'm excited to see what he's able to do now um the engine the luminous engine was something that uh they they've been using for a while it's been used in a couple of their games it uh, built final fantasy 15 so are they going to stick with that engine? Are they going to create something else? Um, I'm not exactly sure yet. Uh, you know, Luminous produ- Productions it makes it seem like it's going to have something to do with that Luminous engine. But uh, there, there could be, you know, very little connection between the name and, and the engine itself. So that remains to be seen. But I'm excited um, about the prospect of him working on Final Fantasy 16 from the very, very start. Uh, now, I thought that he was working on Final Fantasy 7. I thought that. Am I wrong about that again? I thought his name was tied to it. If I'm wrong, again, tweet at me at Vault, at Vault RPG. So, um, Tabata moving to new studio within Square Enix. What do you think about this, guys? What are your thoughts does this excite you or does this concern you? Uh, because it seems like and I've talked about it before square. Does square really know what they want to do Does square really know who they are? Um, they have several teams working on these experiences that are supposed to make us think about the past, but they're, they're not like doing it right now. Octopath traveler comes out in a few months. That seems to be, an interesting direction, uh, pulling past into the present, but then they've got this arm that is, you know, gun gun ho, looking forward, pushing graphics and pushing the visual fidelity for the games. Um, and it seems like Tabata is at the head of that push, and it looks like Luminous Productions will be working on uh, original triple A titles moving forward for Square Enix. So we will see what produces what is produced from that venture. Moving on from Jamatsu.com, uh, the Alliance Alive launches March 27th in the Americas and Europe, as well as a second character trailer is released. Um, reading this straight from Jamatsu. The Alliance Alive will launch physically and digitally for 3DS in the Americas and Europe. On March 27, 2018, publisher Atlas announced. As previously announced, a special launch edition will also be available in the Americas that includes an exclusive CD with 20 tracks, art book with more than 30 pages of detailed illustrations, and a Robin's Penguin keychain. In addition to the release date announcement, Atlas has relaunched the game's official website and released a new trailer introducing the Damon characters of the party so um or is that demon character who, who knows this weird spelling there's an a in there that yeah anyway but uh this game looks really interesting uh it's coming out on the 3ds another another product another uh, piece of evidence that 3ds 
you don't have to put it at the top of the closet yet, right? You don't have to make sure that dust is collecting on it yet. We saw from the Nintendo Direct earlier this month that, or, or last, yeah, earlier this month that things are still coming to the 3DS. No, it's not coming in just the mass numbers that it did in the past, but there are some quality experiences coming to your Nintendo 3DS. This is one of those, it looks like an interesting RPG, and it came out uh, this week. Um, when this releases, it came out a couple days ago. So uh, you should go to the Jamatsu and check out the trailer that is in the article. So Atlas putting another RPG onto the 3DS. Another release this week is The Witch and the Hundred Night 2 is out on PS4. This is coming from the official PlayStation blog. It says, from the developers of Disgaea and Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, uh, Nippon Ichi Software brings The Witch and the Hundred Night 2 exclusively to PS4. For those of you who are worried about not having played the first game, like me, like me, uh, fret not. The stories may take place in the same world, but they are standalone titles. And then there is a lot of description about the game. Um, it says with several facets that give 100 night different weapon and build options, the player can enjoy a variety of gameplay styles. Want to swing a huge hammer at en enemies with the power fortress facet or cast a ton of devastating spells with a marginal gaze? Additionally, 100 Knight has some more tricks up its sleeve in the form of tokas that offer extra skills and even has a finishing blow called Depletera. 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 However you want to say that. So like I said, there's a lot of description. So this is another cool release, cool RPG being released for the PS4. So you can go check that out. There is a physical version of that as well all right and on to destructoid.com we see that new god eater 3 has a new trailer and it's confirmed for ps4 and pc with no release date yet uh god eater 2 if you haven't gotten all of your monster hunting um needs out of the way this is a game for you. It's, it is not a Monster Hunter clone by any means. It has its own aesthetic, its own style, its own gameplay. Uh, it is a little bit heavier on story, which if you're me, that really, really speaks to you. When I, cause I've not, I've not played either of the first two God Eater games, uh, but when I first saw this announced, they pitch it as God Eater is Monster Hunter with a little bit more story. And that's that's right up my alley. Yes, I do love going out and uh, you know uh, hunting these huge beasts and uh, gathering materials to upgrade armor, things like that. That's a cool loop. That's a cool gameplay loop. Um, but I, I am a story guy first and foremost. So if you can tie really cool hunting mechanics and really cool uh, battles and engaging monster hunting. If you can tie that with a really decent story, I'm in, totally in. So uh, God of Year 3 definitely on my radar and it is coming to PS4 and PC at some point. Um, and I feel like it has the po it has the potential to, to take off, to really ride that uh, success that Monster Hunter World, you know, 
really paved the way this year. Um, that's not to say that there there aren't a lot of uh, God Eater fans and there aren't a lot of Monster Hunter fans. There were a lot of Monster Hunter fans, but you can't tell me that Monster Hunter didn't just sort of punch through this year in a way that they never have in the past. They really broke through into the mainstream in, a, in an immense way, in a fantastic way. And so I think that that could help God Eater also do the same thing. Um, I mean, you saw... You saw recently in sort of the uh, Battle Royale stage where Battlegrounds really, really caught on fire and took took the gaming world by storm last year. But now look at this year. You got a new game coming in with Fortnite. It wasn't even a part of Fortnite's original gameplay. They put together a Battle Royale and now, honestly, it's doing a lot better, a lot, lot better the Battlegrounds is. Yes, there are still a lot of Battlegrounds players, but Fortnite is taking the cake right now. So it's not all about getting to this thing first. It's about doing it in your own way, doing some things better. If God Eater can come in and have a, an, a, give me an easier time of partying up with my friends, then that's already something that they're doing better. I, I don't know anything about the networking in this game. I, I, I don't. I'm not saying that it does have it. I'm not saying that it doesn't have it. But I'm just saying if if it's wanting to be a contender with what Monster Hunter World has done this year, it really needs decent network and it needs to give me the ability to party up with players easier because that's something that I really struggle with with Monster Hunter World. Yes, you could do it. Once you did, it was fine. But... For me, in Monster Hunter World, it was easier to drop in and out with random people because of the SOS flares and things like that than it was to actually sit down with my friends in the same room and get in a party together and be able to get out in the world together. So if it can give me an easier experience there, it will already be doing something better than Monster Hunter World did. And it's coming to PC. Uh, I don't know if that's right away. Maybe. And Monster Hunter World still not out on PC. and It will be later this year before it comes there. So, I mean, like if it can hit the PC, if God Eater 3 can hit the PC pretty early, I think it's in pretty good shape. I think that's pretty, pretty interesting. And that's actually all for the news this week. Um, one other sort of minor, not minor, but a, a piece of news is I teased it last week, but the first episode of the Switch RPG podcast that um, is hosted by myself. So if you can't get enough of me hosting podcasts, uh, that's going to be another show for you to sort of keep up with. It is a bit different from this show as it focuses strictly on the Switch and I go all over the place over here, still focusing on RPGs. So if you love RPGs and you don't mind me, then you should go check out uh, Switch RPG, the Switch RPG podcast. So cool. Um, so now let's um, move on to the games that I've been playing this week, and we're actually going to combine this with the gaming deep dive of the week. And um, like I said, I'm going to have to wrap this up here in a few minutes. But the games that I've been playing this week, um, Nina Kuni 2 that released, a, that released last Friday. I was so excited about it. Still am, because it's a fantastic game. So now... Uh, jumping into the gaming deep dive of the week, it is going to focus on Nino Kuni 2. I am 15 hours in and I'm having a blast. So this isn't my sort of final review or final opinion, final view of the game, uh, not by a long shot. 
I've been hearing from other players that uh, the game itself is only about 30 hours long. So I should be about, about the halfway point. I've sort of taken my time. So I, I may not be exactly halfway. But regardless, this is sort of my early on, um, early on point of view, early on thoughts and opinions. So what do I think about Nino Kuni 2? Well, the thing that I would say is that right off the bat, it gives me this such an immense feeling of nostalgia. And when I say that, I say that um, having not played the first game, having never looked at the first game, I've, 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 I've seen maybe three screenshots and maybe two minutes of gameplay of Nino Kuni, the original. All right, so I have no former tie to this franchise, to this IP at all. In fact, it, when I first started seeing Nino Kuni 2 um, announced and teased and I saw trailers start coming out, that's when I got hyped for the game. I, Like I said, I have no, f- no previous past experiences with the Nino Kuni franchise. So when I say that it, it gives me this immense feeling of nostalgia, it's doing something that that makes me feel things and, and think of things, but not, not, not in the way of like, I'm remembering all the great times that I had with the first one. I feel like what it's doing is that it's giving me the sense of nostalgia for the RPG genre as a whole, the RPG history as a whole it's giving me those feelings of nostalgia of that because it seems like it's taking a lot of the great things that we've had in the past and it's lumping it into one game there are a lot of systems and a lot of mechanics going on and they seem to dip their toes into these mechanics in a very effective way that make them fun and approachable and not overwhelming but also not underwhelming they 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 do all of the all of the mechanics justice and it's fun it's just really really fun uh the best way that i could describe it and i've said this um to a couple people is that for some reason when i play it like as i'm watching the cutscenes, and that the actual cutscenes with uh, with voiceovers are pretty few and far between but just watching the cutscenes, and then even reading the dialogue for some reason I get the same sort of feeling that I did as a kid watching cartoons on Saturday morning or something, right? It's just sort of that, that feeling of comfort or that the feeling of wow, like I've waited all week for this and now here I am. It's almost like I yeah, I'm watching TV with my best friend, right? So there's just something about it that, that conjures that feeling of kind of being a kid. And I think what it is, Part of what it is, is that it's all about adventure and it's all about this exploration of this world, right? Because the setup is that you've got this, this guy, Roland, who's um, transported from our world, from Earth to this land. And, and so he's an outsider, just like we're an outsider. So he's experiencing all of these things for the first time, just like we are as a player. So as a story and as a plot, it's not necessarily the, the deepest, most complex, uh, most emotional story that I've ever played, right? But it's because that's not what it's trying to do. 
it's giving me the sense of adventure and the sense of learning this world and the sense of, uh, uh, of putting together this kingdom and like having to start a whole new government because of things that have happened to the characters and trying to establish a place in this world where people that can be, you know, this Harbor for people who feel out of place or displaced or ignored or, um, who just want peace. Right. So it, in a way it's a story that is kind of emotional, but the presentation is almost childlike. So it's this really nice balance. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but at, at the core, it is a very serious topic and a very it's very serious to the people within the world. Like I said, there are a lot of systems in place. Um, you've got the normal combat, which is like if you're running around on a local map, you get you enter combat immediately with no loading screen. Uh, there's a sort of combat arena, uh, this invisible wall. Um, appears and so you're you're able to uh, to fight within that 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 ring and if you approach the edge of the ring then you have the ability to escape the battle but there's no actual loading screen it's super quick it's it's just snappy it's fluid and um and fighting is is fun fighting is super super easy I'll, I'll say that and if that's one thing I don't want to call it a negative but it's just really easy. Uh, even bosses, at least to the point that I am, they're just they're just cakewalks. But um, the, so so the combat there is super fluid, super um, and super snappy, right? Then you have combat again, but it's combat that you enter from the overworld, and this is another piece of nostalgia, another piece in the nostalgia puzzle for the game. Uh, and that is that it has an overworld map where your characters turn into this sort of chibi form. And so the chibi pre- presentation is adorable, but um, it's not quite to scale, right? But you're running all over the map. There are enemies on the map. Um, you know, you got your towns, you got your outposts, you got your dungeons, you got your caves, you got your, uh, uh, you can. You can see, you can see the sea, you can see the rivers. You got to cross bridges. So I mean, it feels really classic in that sense. It feels really, really vintage, in that sense. So that, that was really really neat. Um, and then, like I said, there are enemies on that overworld map, and um, you can uh, you can aggro them right if you get too close and they're close enough level, then they will chase you and you'll enter a battle screen. At that point, there are those small transition screens to that battle. And sometimes in the overworld, that is one of the areas, at least on my original PlayStation four that can chug a little bit. Cause you've got a lot going on on the overworld, right? you're trying to load all of that, especially then whenever you're jumping in and out of battle a bunch, at least for me, it, it, it the, the, the frames dropped a little bit. So that's the other sort of system is you've got this overworld system where you can fight battles and things. And then what you can do um, is you will come across these things on the overworld called skirmishes. And you can enter a battle mini game type deal where you have these battalions and all of a sudden you are now moving battalions around on this 
war, uh, this, this map that is like overworld esque, but it's an instance strictly for this battle. And you are fighting battalions from an enemy general or something like that. So that is an, another, another of its battle systems. It's really fun. Um, it's strategic without being complicated. Uh, and at 15 hours in, I've just actually unlocked the other two battalions. So now I'm controlling four battalions at a time, right? Um, around Evan, one of the main characters. So that system is fun and you can go around and find these skirmishes on the map to conquer these places, uh, to set up, uh, your own outposts in place of where the enemy's outposts were. So that's uh, another side, uh, side, a piece of side content that you can do if you want to take a break from the main story. Um, then you have still kind of with combat, right? This is all just different forms of combat. You've got um, the dungeons of the game or one, one type of dungeon of the game um, are these doors. And uh, right now I have a quest to complete nine of them. I don't know if there's going to be another set after this or if this is just the, sort of the nine main door dungeons of the game. And you can play them over and over again. But the system in place for this is that you enter these doors and you have a certain number of floors. Uh, so in that way, it, it's much like a dungeon, a dungeon crawler. And as you enter these doors, um, you will be fighting enemies on each floor. And um, a timer is going, is counting the whole time. And you have different levels. So you start on level one and it's called like your, your danger level. I, I can't re exactly remember what, um, what the actual term is, but it's like a danger level, right? And you start on level one and once the timer runs out, then you move up to danger level two. And then once that timer runs out, then you move up to danger level three. So the, the deal is once the, every time the level goes up, the enemies instantly get harder. They instantly rank up in levels. They might go from like level 21 to level 26 or 27 or 28. The bosses get really hard, right? So you have to, um, you have to manage that time because there are different ways um, to sort of earn currency within the dungeon and you can use that currency to find an NPC to maybe lower that dungeon level or that danger level, right? So... Or you may just want it to um, to level up so that you have a harder challenge with those enemies uh, and with the boss at the very end. And then there is a boss at on the final floor always. So that's really that's a really neat once again piece of side content. And that sort of brings me to one thing that Nino Kuni Two does really well, aside from having an interesting main story, is that it gives the player really interesting side stories and pieces of side content. Now this isn't something that every game nails. It just isn't. Some games don't have interesting side content. They don't have interesting side content. They just, they don't. It feels f uh, like added on at the very end. It feels fluff. It feels um, disconnected from the story. It feels useless. Narratively, it, does, it doesn't engage me at all. 
And for the most part, the side content in Nino Kuni 2 checks all of those boxes. It's fun. It is a good escape from the main plot. It, um, they, each, each sort of quest, at least lore-wise or narrative-wise, gives me something to engage with. Gives me some sort of feeling of caring for what's going on. A level of investment, and that's something that a lot of a lot of quests don't do, because look, there's only so many sort of fetch quests or side quests that you can, or go kill so many monsters. There's only so many different ways that you can present that. So what you have to do is you have to give those uh, those quest givers something interesting, some sort of interesting hook, or you have to allow those uh, characters to to introduce you to some uh, some piece of lore or something, right? And that's what this game does, is that the characters who give you these quests, they aren't just stock, right? They have a past, they have a history, they have connections with other people in the world. I just completed one where I helped, uh, or I recruited this older general guy to my army, and as soon as I completed and recruited his side quest, Another side quest unlocked for his grandson, who had his, his own set of problems and his own um, his own uh, conflict with the grandfather, and like that conflict pushed his side quest forward. So these side quests aren't just cookie cutter; uh, they're just different versions of themselves. They each have personality, and then here's the thing: that because of the way that the the, the game is created and you are building your kingdom, like I alluded to earlier, as you complete these quests, you're recruiting these people to join your kingdom and they have their own skills and their own talents and their own uh, ways that they can uh, help you in your kingdom. So there's not only the actual reward for finishing the quest, but the actual reward is getting to recruit these people. And um, all, there are all the time, as you complete uh, side quests, there are other people who become available to recruit and things like that. So they're interesting, they're rewarding, and they feed back into the main story. Because, like I said, the story is create your kingdom, create your kingdom, create your kingdom. So I'm like, all right, well, but I want I to pa pause the main story and I want to go do this side stuff. But in some games, if you do that, it just feels so disconnected. It feels like I'm disengaging from the game itself. But in Nino Kuni 2, as you go to do that side content, it feeds back into the main story because you are making your kingdom stronger, which will help you as you progress, as you progress the story. You want that kingdom. You want to be able to level it up. So going to do side stuff feeds right back into that. So it's it's really... Uh, efficient and it's really respectful of your time because oh you're going you're playing side content but you also want to feel like you are progressing or you want to feel like you're accomplishing something and there's that immediate payoff as you're completing these quests that immediate payoff that ah, I see those people joining my kingdom I see them running around in their the little chibi form selves and I can assign them to certain tasks or certain um, establishments within the kingdom. And it's just really interesting. It's really fun. And it's really respectful of my time. Another game that I think that does this pretty well, and I've talked about this before, is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. 
I personally enjoyed all of this, the, the side quests in the game because they had their own narrative, they had their own lore, they had their own unique uh, quest givers, and it fed back, sort it sort of fed back into building out your characters because it wasn't just like X, XP rewards, right? Sometimes it was small story rewards or small um, extra scenes with your blades and things like that. So I feel like Nino Kuni 2 is coming in and sort of uh, doing the same thing. It's rewarding you in ways that aren't just, uh, you know, XP and a cloak or an upgraded piece of armor or something. So bravo, bravo. I talked about kingdom building a little bit. That's just, just plain fun. It is just really, really fun to me. It's a, it's addictive. I, uh, once I start building my kingdom, I don't want to put it down. Uh, and that's a problem. That's a problem, but it's fun. Uh, it's fun to manage. It's fun to find, uh, which characters work best in which, um, establishments or which careers, um, and that, then that's fun. And then, uh, you know, I can, I can set it to make money and to gather resources and I can use those resources in quests. I can use those resources to level up my, uh, my little Higglebees or whatever they're called. So uh, the, the systems overall work really well together. They intertwine and interconnect in really interesting ways. And it all builds into, an interesting progression and a progression that I feel really good about and one that I'm not tired. I never tire of, uh, of playing or of, of doing because everything I can do in the game is fun and interesting, right? So I'm, I'm never tiring out necessarily because I can do main quests or I can do dungeons or I can do kingdom management or I can go around the world map and do skirmishes, I just unlocked a quest board. So now I've got this just massive list of quests that I can complete. And the cool thing about it was that a lot of those quests were like gathering or like resources gathering. And so I had actually already completed them before I ever accepted them. And now I just got to go around and, and turn them in. So that was really neat. And real quick, last thing I want to talk about is the voice acting. Cause I said that, the, the scenes with voice acting is few and far between, and that's honestly a shame. Now, I don't hate it because I don't, I don't get tired of it. Um, I don't get tired of, of listening or, or uh, you know, listening to these characters or seeing their faces. Um, and because I, and I, and I, I don't want you to get me wrong. I love the voice acting. I think the voice acting is phenomenal, and I wish that there had been more of it just because it was so good. But I do love the design choice of the minimal voice acting and it and it's mostly text. It reminds me a lot of Breath of the Wild because at, like if you meet sort of a new main NPC or you meet somebody uh, pivotal to the story, the your initial contact with them will be voice acted. Uh, if you get this really really pivotal story scene, it will be voice acted, but everything else is text based. And, and I like that design choice. The only reason I wish that there had been more voice acted scenes is because it is so good. The voices they, they got, each of them fit the characters perfectly. There's a nice range of accents. Um, and it's just really talented. And that's all I got to say. I just, I wish there had been more because it's so good. 
So that is my sort of 15 hour look at Nino Community 2. I'm interested to see who all's playing it and what you're thinking about it. So if you've picked up Nino Community 2 on the, either the PS4 or the PC, please let me know. Tweet at me. I'm at VaultRPG and let me know what you think. Um, what do you think about all these different systems? Do you agree with me that they are good implementations and that they're interesting and that they're fun? Is there, are there things about the game that bug you or annoy you or frustrate you? Because I would love, I would love to hear what those things are. Uh, because I, I'm lacking a lot of the systems. Um, I, I wish that the, my frames wouldn't drop. Um, that, that's my, that's sort of my, my big thing right now. Uh, so anyway, tweet at me at vault RPG. Let me know what you think about Nino Kuni two. If you've listened this far, thank you so much for your support. And, uh, just in general, thank you so much for supporting the podcast as, as we're going along here every week, you come back to listen. That really, really means a lot to me. You have no idea. Uh, and, it, um, if there's anything that you would like to hear on the podcast or see on the podcast, please just let me know. Um, I would love some feedback. What do you guys think of the show? What do you guys think of the segments? Personally, I love doing the limit breaks. I enjoy talking about the news and I enjoy doing these deep, these deep dives. But if there's anything that you would ever like for me to cover, just let me know. You can tweet at me or you can find me in the switch RPG discord and uh, drop me a line, drop me a, a DM. Just let me know. Once again, thank you for listening. This has been Level 99 RPG Talk with Philip as your host, brought to you by Vault RPG. Until next episode, go game your hearts out. I'll see you later.